heavy metal the way it was meant to be. Classic 80s underground. On blogtalkradio.com, the Heavy Metal Mayhem Radio Show. With your host, Mike the Big Cheese.
All right, welcome back to Heavy Metal Mayhem, and boy, I got a great show for you tonight. Josh Christian from Toxic will be calling in live in about 15 to 20 minutes or so, and during this week, I had interviewed Lonnie Paul from Adler, great guitar, amazing guitar player, and we have that interview coming up a little later on in the show. But right now, like always, seated at the right hand of the father, Mr. Thomas Valanga. Tommy, what's going on, buddy? <laughs> Hey, buddy, how you doing, man? Good, what's happening there? Eh, nothing much, same old crap. Well, I'm glad you're doing your same old crap here with us every week. I'm trying. Yeah, that's all that matters. Well, you know, I, you know, Toxic, I've been a fan of these guys going back to the mid-80s when they started. They're out of uh, New York. I want to say Westchester, some peak school, maybe some over in that area. We'll find out for sure when, when Josh calls in. And boy, when they disappeared in the 90s, uh, it, was a, it was a loss because I was a big fan of their two records, so... It's great that they're back together again, and I'm sure we're going to get some new music out of them. And then uh, I spoke to Lonnie Paul early in the week from Adler's band, Adler. And uh, Lonnie is a great guy. He's like one of those rarities that, you know, he just loves what he's doing. He's so happy to be doing it. And we'll get that interview on, you know. And you and I had a little trip to the city the other night. We got to meet up with uh, Biff and Doug from Saxon, so that was pretty cool. I know you were excited. Definitely. Definitely. You made my night. Yeah, I tell you, I got home and I, and I played the, the the tape of the interview, and it sounded like we were on crack. All of us, that thing, the machine must speed up the sound. Oh, really? Holy cow! <laughs> it was going so fast. It was like that guy from the '80s when he used to do the FedEx commercials. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I couldn't believe it. I had to put it onto some program, like try to slow it down. So I got it to almost normal, but because I think was like, wow, that whole thing was only like 18 minutes. I thought we were talking longer than that. And then when I Slowed it down to like a normal speed. It was like 45 minutes long. It's like, all right, that was about right. Maybe you selected something. Maybe you selected a certain speed for recording. I don't know. I mean, I, I, it happened once before when I interviewed uh, the Ben INC at uh-huh. the St. Vitus Bar. Yeah. So I, I never used it after that. And then I recorded the shows live last week at the St. Vitus Bar with Attacker and Wrath and all those guys. And right. that came out great. It sounded fantastic. Oh. So I was like, I don't know, you know. It's usually just hit one button to record, and, you know, that's it. But maybe I did. Maybe there's different things on there. I have to maybe take a better look at it and yeah, see. Yeah, I could think of, yeah. Yeah, because, you know, we don't do that many in-person interviews where I use it. So I'm not, you know, just used to hitting that one button. But I'll check it out. But it came out good. It sounds good in the end. I didn't edit nothing out. I left all the chit-chat in there and all the, you know, the small talk and everything. I was too much trying to cut it all out, you know? But it was very good. So we opened up today's show with some TT Quick that goes back to the band's first EP, yeah. the song Victims. You know, everybody knows Marcus now would accept he's been there a couple of years now, and uh, they're doing fantastic. And it's been a pretty quiet year so far for them in 2013. Last year, they were out on the road nonstop. They had Stalingrad out. And uh, <clears throat> I know they got a couple of shows coming up in the summer, but I guess all the bands are the summer festival season is uh, getting ready to hit us. And uh, all these bands are going to be heading over to Europe to do these uh, shows. So. Yeah. We gotta try to get over there one year, catch catch one of them, you know, one of the good yeah, ones. Yeah, definitely, that would be nice. Yeah, some of them are like a mixed bag of nuts, man. They really, it's like two or three days, and they have like everybody on there from, you know, people playing banjos <laughs> up to Metallica and everybody in between. So yeah, to me. Well. You gotta pick and choose like the good ones. Yeah. All right, well, let me see. We're gonna get Josh on the phone in a little bit, so uh, let me get a tune or two, and uh, let me ring up his number. That way, we're all ready to go. Let me see what I can do. Do I got anything different this week that I haven't played in a long time? Let me see. Ba 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 da 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 da. And maybe play Rottweiler. We'll get them on. Here's a song called No Escape. This is Ronnie Monroe's old band long before he was in Metal Church. Okay. <laughs> 
another great New York band. I forgot just how good those guys were. That was EXE. The song is Fatally Wounded. That comes off the Stricken by Might record from 1987. They were another band that bounced around the scene from like 84 to 91. I saw them a couple of times at Lamar back in the day. They were really solid, man. But they just, you know, never got any credit. Really never went anywhere. But I got to see if I can reach out to them. I mean, they're one of the bands that haven't gotten back together yet. You know, everybody has to. Yeah, little by little. Yeah, but uh, they were good. Uh, they had two really solid records out then, you know. Yeah, but it was like that for everybody. You know, a lot of bands that didn't, like, hit big by the mid-'80s, by the time they got things going, the scene just collapsed upon itself in the 90s, so it was kind of over for everybody. Right. Especially bands that didn't really have a lot of support or, you know, especially by the record labels and stuff. But that stuff happens, you know? Yep, yep. All righty. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? All right, well, we got Kenny calling in late. He's got some news. He's got a little bit of information on what's going on in the New York City area this week for the concert calendar update. Right. And we have Carl from CarlsMetal.com, your leading source for all New Jersey heavy metal in the chat room with us tonight. And we're just going to keep the music flowing. Too. How about we do our demolition segment? Because I'm going to give uh, Josh a call, maybe one more song after that. And we'll get that interview going because we also have uh, Lonnie Paul from Adler later on. So I want to get everybody in and as much music as we can. How does that sound? Good man. Sounds good to you. Sounds great. Yeah, you're all on board. I'm on. <laughs> I'm on board. All right, I'm just I'm just checking. You know, I'm glad there's no hockey today. That we got you like a, two weeks in a row. This is amazing. It's amazing. You know, soccer, uh, hockey usually doesn't play on Sunday for some reason. There are games, but it's not like a big hockey day. But I guess because of the the strike or the lockout, you know, they're trying to consolidate everything or get as many games as they can. Yeah, they got them get them in. Yeah, so there's a lot of Sunday games going on right now. But usually there really isn't during hockey. That's one of the days they don't play too often. I know. It's like, you know, I figured football season's over, you know. But yeah. The thing is, and the Giants don't all play, don't always play on four, you know, 4 o'clock. But yeah, well, you know, football's you different. you got like three months. Yeah, yeah, once in a while, you know. It happens. All right, well, you know what? This I want to give you my full attention. You always do, and I appreciate that. You don't want that. me to have the game on in the background. No, not at all. I'd rather well, enjoy I, your... If I can't sit here and give you an hour, you know what I mean, at least in at six to seven, you know, before the game, I'll I'll try, you know. But if a game, you know, is in the middle of the game, even if the Rangers are losing, I always have that that faith that they're going to come back, you know. You have to. you got to believe. But it really sucks being a big fan. It really. I know, I know, I know. Well, you know what? I'm glad that you even are willing to give me an hour because my wife is happy getting 60 seconds, so that's better than anybody <laughs> else. So. <laughs> I'll take it. All right, well. My wife. Bro, I was waiting for you to say that. That poor woman. That poor woman, what she puts up with. Uh, she, she puts up way too much, but I love her to death, so God that's bless. life. All right, well, this week our demolition segment is a pretty big band. It's one of the big Teutonic Four. Everybody wants to be a part of a group of four these days, and this one is Destruction. And we're going back to the very first demo mm. back in 1984. This is the Beast Invasion of Hell Tape. Most people probably have it already, but I just feel like putting it up there because I didn't have nothing else this week that <laughs> I dug up at the time. So uh, go to the blog spot, download yourself a copy of it. If you don't have it, it's an old classic song by the band. It's called Mad Butcher. Yeah. 
Oh yeah, Jack Panzer, man, I love those guys. I'm I'm pretty sure they're getting back together uh because, you know, uh I forgot. I'm I'm losing my train of thought. <laughs> Chris Lasek left the band, he went back to music school. He came in later on into the band and he was an amazing guitar player. We've had him on the show a couple of times. But after he left, I guess the band just decided that was it. They didn't want to go on anymore. You know, Chris was a major force with their writing, especially on the last record. Uh, but I hear that Joey Tafola is going to be back in the group again. So I think they're going to get back together. I know there's a big box set coming out. And uh, as you said in the chat room, it's like 100 euros. So that's like 150 dollars for us over here, you know? Oh, yeah. Yeah, but they were a great band. They just never caught that break. I mean, they put out such solid records year after year. You know, even though they broke up for a little bit in between, they were just a tremendous band. And that song is called Break It. There was an original test. Ample Destruction was their first record. It came out like the original test pressing, and the album was called License to Kill. And that song is, on, on Ample Destruction, that song is called Crucif uh, Crucifixion or Crucifix. I don't even remember the hell it was. Oh, Cardiac Arrest, I'm sorry. Cardiac Arrest. I'm all tongue-tied here. I got like 200 things I'm trying to do at one time, trying to plan the next song out, get that. the phone number lined up for the interview, <laughs> do something else. But that song was Cardiac Arrest, but the original title was called Break You. And uh, I have that original test pressing, so I'm pretty lucky. It's a clear vinyl record, so. Really solid, but I, that's a download I got off the internet. Somebody uh, had it on CD somewhere, bootlegged, and they cleaned it up, and it sounds pretty good. Wow, nice. Not bad, right? Yeah. All right, that's what I like. All right, here you go. So how about I get Josh on the line right now, and while we're waiting for him to uh, pick up the phone, instead of boring everybody with the dial tones and the beeps and everything, I'll just play a toxic song, and I'll get him in private, and uh, we'll get Josh on the air. Sounds good to you? Sounds good to you. Me. All right. <laughs> All right, there you go. <laughs> it's toxic. Pain and misery. It sounds like the title of my life. Oh.
right, there you go. Some toxic pain and misery. Right now, we have Josh on the line. Let's connect him. Josh, how are you, buddy? Oh, good, Mike. What's going on, man? No, I'm glad to have you on here today. I, I'm a big fan going back to the Wasteland demo tape, so I, I love that you guys are doing it again and you're back. And before I go further, I've got my partner in crime, Tommy, sitting here with us on the phone. Tommy, you there? Hey, how you doing, dude? What's going on, Tommy? How are you? Uh, hanging in there. Good yeah, that's, that's that's my. I tell you, if we were living in Vermont, he'd be my lover. But unfortunately, we're in New York, so we got to keep it on. The, we can't we can't get involved with that. <laughs> wow! All right. <laughs> All right, Josh, it's great to have you here today, man. I'm so glad that I know you guys tried putting this thing back together in 2007. I guess it wasn't the right place, the right time, but you, you went at it again, and it seems like things are sticking this time because there's a lot of interest generated around Toxic all of a sudden again. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's there's a pretty good buzz going. You know, it's, it's 2007, what happened was, it's kind of a weird thing. We, somebody was doing a documentary, wanted to do a documentary about the band. And it, it was a reunion because we were all together and we started to play music with one another. But it wasn't, we didn't come together to make a record. We came together because somebody wanted to film us, you know. Okay. Uh, and that was, I think that was why it didn't really catch because it it wasn't the right time. It was kind of a weird way to be brought together. It really, you know, in, in hindsight. Um, and this time is, is a lot more natural. Uh, it's much more, you know, it's kind of where it came from the first time around. There's good songs ready to be played and, you know, toxic's the vehicle to do them. Well, that's great. Again, I guess you're talking about the think again, DVD that came out a couple of years back. Uh, yeah, well, actually that was, uh, <clears throat> Chad put that together. Um, and uh, he actually borrowed. He got some of the some of the documentary footage he stuck on there. But uh, again, the uh, uh, the guy who shot the, that uh, that piece didn't didn't actually want to sh- end up sharing it with us uh, just uh. for legal reasons. So it didn't. Yeah, it's still out there. And who knows? Maybe it wasn't like harsh feelings. I don't think. I, I just think it was just really technical. But uh, who knows? Maybe that'll surface at some point. He, he shot a lot of stuff. He came to a couple of rehearsals, and it's probably pretty cool footage. I've never even seen it to be honest with you. Yeah, it would be really cool to see. Uh, that would be fantastic. Well, you know, you're talking about Tad. Tad's not with you right now. He's not this time around, but you got a pretty good replacement, I got to say. Yeah, yeah, that kind of worked out, right? Um, <laughs> yeah, we're we're happy for Tad, and you know, it's really a good thing that he's doing. Lucer Tola, his project is, uh, you know, it's coming together for him, and it's really it is an awesome record. Um, he's put together a really solid band, and. It was, you know, just not the right time for him to step away from that. He's in the middle of making that happen. We can, you know, this is going to be, you know, a demand on his time, and we've all only got X amount of time. So uh, we respect and understand the decision, and we are totally friends. He's still, he's like actually helping me out with the artwork, and you know, we're working together, and you know, there's no issue with that. And as it turns out, Jason Bittner, the replacement of uh, Shadows Fall, who is definitely, you know, in the top, you know names of metal drummers in the world I, again it's like amazing luck for us you know we i think we are all pretty happy to have the guy um is actually a friend of tad's studied with tad a little bit back in the day um but they have a, a little bit of history so there's you know there's a little bit of a legacy with jason coming on because he's already friends with the band with tad and tad when tad found out that jason wanted to do it he was totally stoked for it so again just it couldn't be more supportive and i don't mean i don't you know no group hug here or anything but you know, it was just, it really was, uh, it, it worked out perfectly. Yeah, well, you're talking about Tad. I mean, you were helping him out with that band a little bit, too. Didn't you do some work with them also for a little while? Uh, yeah, actually, we did the uh, we we did the recording together, um, a lot of it. He uh, he had done some tracking with Lou, the guy that played was going to play drums in 2007 with us, Lou Calderola. 
um, good friend of the band as well. Um, he and Lou had tracked up some stuff for uh, the Lucifer project uh, with Lou playing drums and Tad playing guitar. And actually, back, it's when we were sort of farting around with the Toxic thing. I had first heard it, and I, it kind of it was really good. I, I was, you know, the riffs that Tad was laying down, very Sabbath, very, you know, Doom, just had a really great vibe to it. And I told him, I said, you know, man, I hear tons of vocals for that. I hear keyboards. I hear all kinds of shit. You know, we could do a lot with that. And he was like, dude, man, I'm dying to do this with somebody. So me and my buddy Tad got together and we crushed on it. And we worked on it for about a year on and off. We put a lot of work into it. And, again, very, very proud of the product, um, what we've done. Um, and, again, he's just taking it further with the guys that he got. It's it's a cool thing, man. Yeah, I like to hear that when it's a finished product. I heard, you know, bits and pieces on the Internet. But, uh you know, it's like I said, I, I, you know, I used to be a big tape trader back in the early '80s, mid '80s, and I remember getting that Wasteland demo around '86. You know, with Heart right. Attack, False Prophets, and to me, it was always you guys seemed to always be a step above or beyond what else was, you know, everything else that was going on around out there. I mean, it was thrash, it was power. You, you kind of combined a little bit of every aspect of, you know, heavy metal into your own sound. And it was always like a thinking man's metal to me because it wasn't just, all, you know, like your typical generic stuff that was starting to come out, especially towards like the mid to the late '80s and. I, you know, when those two records came out, I, they were, like, some of the best stuff out there. Then you guys, like, disappeared. I mean, was it, like, the band turning on itself? Or I know a lot of times it's, you know, you got problems with the record labels, management. Everything kind of, like, can build up and tear, tear somebody apart real easy. It, it does. It does. And, well, thanks. You know, I mean, thank you very much, man. You know, talking about the tape trading days, those those were the days, right? I mean, that was a really great time for music because there was so much stuff around and it was pre-internet, and it was totally raw, and just, you know, no bullshit. It was just great, great times for music. Um, we, I think we were quirky because we were really a, a group of different people. Everybody in Toxic comes from a kind of different background. We all had a different headspace in terms of what we like music-wise. Um, Mike and I specifically really were doing a power metal thing before Toxic. We were both coming out of a power metal kind of background. And uh, really, Wasteland still had some power metal elements to it. You're, you're absolutely right. Like Haunted Earth especially. And, you know, there's just moments where you, you could hear the priest, you could hear the scorpions, and you know, that's, you know, what we grew up on. Um, Tad kind of brought the new edge to it. Uh, when he came in, he was the more thrashy guy. He was very hip. He was really young. I mean, when we first started doing this, Tad was 16 years old, 17 years old. He was really a kid. Um, so, you know, he was hip to all that kind of thing that was going on. And it, at that point, it really was still pretty fresh. I mean, we were, you know, it was really new. Um, and Tad was the, the one who brought that in and infused it with our power thing that we were already doing. And then Brian, you know, Brian's got a technical thing of his own on the bass, he, he was already kind of, he's you know, he's a thinker on the bass. It's funny you say thinking man's metal. You know, he's a very kind of sort of, you know, uh, uh, articulate kind of thinking player. Uh, so it was this kind of like high-minded kind of group of guys getting together, but not really. We're just totally normal guys, you know, drinking beers, hanging out. There were no, you know, we're definitely not snobs in any way. Um, nobody's coming out at, at that point. Not that you're a snob if you come out of Juilliard, but nobody was coming out of Juilliard. We were just, you know, blue-collar kids. Um, and I don't know, we kind of latched on to this vibe uh, that just seemed to be going on. We were also fans of some other bands that were doing similar things. I mean, you know, obviously Watchtower, I don't think Toxic ever, you know, touched Watchtower. I see, you know, uh, comparisons out on YouTube and stuff between the two bands, and I always yeah. kind of cringe on that because um, Watchtower really kind of blazed their own trail. Not that Toxic didn't. I'm not self-deprecating here. I'm not putting us down in any way, but I think that, you know, Watchtower really did do their own thing 
and we were as influenced by that as I would say we were influenced by Metallica at the time, you know, or something else. So, and then as far as what happened to the band, you know, how because we kind of came and went, it seems, um, it was a lot of factors. Uh, the record company was not easy to deal with at the time. Um, they weren't giving us a lot of money. They, they, I don't think they really, frankly, understood the band. Um, I don't think they knew how to market us. I don't know if we knew how to market ourselves. We were kind of a, you know, odd sort of placement band. We didn't have... We didn't sound like really anybody else, I don't think. I mean, there was a couple other bands that we sounded like, but we, those bands and us, you know, Realm, Watchtower, a couple of other ones that were out there, we kind of really were doing our own thing. Uh, there wasn't a, a much to a category for us to be placed into. And at that time, you know, you needed, your album needed to sit with a group of other albums that were similar to sell at Record World. You know, that was how yeah. it got marketed. And if they couldn't place you, then they then they dumped you. And I think that happened to a lot of talent. And I think that the labels shit a lot of really great bands out um, because they just couldn't market them. So it's kind of funny the way it works out with the downloads now because people get to pick and choose what they really like, and the label doesn't have much to say about it. And it's pretty wild how bands like Toxic, little cult bands like Toxic that really didn't do very much through the label, are still around 25 years later with hardcore friends and fans out there supporting us. You know, um, I, I don't know. I think there's like a, kind of a, a, an iron, uh, ironic justice to that, you know, or is an there, iron justice. Yeah. No, there really is. And, justice, and, and, and the Internet is a big factor in that because, it's like you said, it's people, you know, you have fans who start pages up on, like, the social, you know, uh, media outlets. And you have all these other places. And a lot of people discover these bands or they rediscover them because they forgot about them. And it makes right. it so much easier. Years ago, we had fans, like I said, the tape trading days. People sit in right. the house and then write, you know, fanzines and make retrograph copies and mail them out, and that was the way we did it back then. So when you when you, when you look at Toxic, the last record came out that was almost 25 years ago, 88, 89, that this came out. <laughs> I know, yeah, and it's like 25 yeah. years later, people re- remember the music, they still play it, they still want it. I mean, you guys had that last record out long before the internet age, long before any of that was around. It was still vinyl and maybe some CDs were out back then. And now you're in a whole new world. I mean, it's not like you like hitting a cave for 25 years. You know what's been going on. But musically, as a band, how do you approach today's music scene compared to back then? Well, actually, I have been in a cave for 25 years. <laughs> um, uh, you know, I I sit on the internet all day long. I sit on Facebook all day long and shoot it with with the, with toxic fans and friends. I'm like, I love the people who like toxic. I run, you know, it's probably that's if anybody's listening who's ever listening to this specifically for me, it's probably on my Facebook page or I shoot the shit with them already. So I've always hated the word fans. I really prefer the word friends because the people who like toxic who have stuck it out with us who get it even now i mean you're talking about a record that's released 25 years ago and i'm talking to 18 year old guys or, and girls they were born after the record came out six seven years and they still get it and so what's happening i think anyway is that there's actually a connection that gets made between you your music which is really like a really you right and these people again they're choosing what they like and they happen to like what you do so there's like a connection already made there and i get along <laughs> really well like deep conversations not just like the fan kind of you know oh my gosh it's josh from toxic because there's a little bit of that at first but then we start to talk and i've actually made friends with a lot of these people and there are people i keep up with and we have real conversations they're real human beings and it's awesome what it's i don't know i i don't think we 
even with the tape trading days, as much mailing back and forth and letter writing as we did, and we did a lot. Um, I don't think it was as intimate as this is. You know, I'm re- I really feel a strong connection. I can't wait to get to Greece. I can't wait to get to Italy. You know, I can't wait to get to these places because we've got really strong groups of friends there that want to hear us play, man. So it's it's cool. And yeah. um, I don't know. I guess that that sort of answers the question, right? That's what I think of the new music scene. I, I, we, you, there's a lot more availability. Uh, there's a lot more access. Uh, it's much more interactive. And I think for a band like Toxic, which has always been called ahead of its time, people, that's not me saying that. People always say, you guys were ahead of your time. Well, maybe this was where we were supposed to be. Maybe this is the time we were headed in, you know, because it seems pretty comfortable comfortable to me, you know. Yeah, no, I agree. I think you guys were ahead of your time. And, you know, when you look at what you were doing back then, I mean, you came into the scene in the mid-'80s, and by that time, like, the band's – like Metallica and Slade, they were already starting to make their mark. They were just getting ready to break big and turn, you know, everything around. Yeah. Head metal was, you know, already on the rise, and that was like the big thing. And then Thresh, a few years later, started to fall into its own. And then it ended just as quick as it started for most people. But I know, like you're saying, with the record label, you don't – a lot of bands – I hear that from so many bands I interviewed that day. Didn't get support from the, lab, the labels. That kind of like put an end to it, and they just gave up. Management. I think it was was a road race or road runner that you guys assigned there originally in the beginning. Well, it's the same company. Eventually, I guess they probably got the rights to Roadrunner. I think there was an issue for a long time between Roadrunner and Roadrunner Warner Brothers product, um, and they had to use the name Road Racer. Uh, that was as I understood it. So, um, but at that time, yeah, it was Road Racer, and we were actually distributed. We were one of the bands that they had kind of a, a sister thing going on uh, with MCA, and we were distributed through MCA. Uh, with Road Racer, which was pretty cool. That that put us in. That actually was a, a lucky break with uh, with the label for us because that got us into some markets that we wouldn't have gotten into otherwise. And I think that did have a factor on why we actually got to where we got to. We could have very easily just been a regional band. We could have just been another band out of New York because there was a lot of us. Um, but that break with MCA being the distribution meant that, and we always said it, that our record would be sitting in the Kmart in Georgia. Uh, and that you know that helped spread it a little bit more for us. And again, it was a lucky break. It was. And when you, what made you decide to redo Tox to get it going again? Was it because of the interest that was being generated on the internet and the amount of people contacting you? You just feel you know it was time. You had unfinished business because you pretty much got three quarters. I mean, of the classic lineup together. You know, you got Brian, Mike is in the band. You and you know, like I said, Tack couldn't do it, but you got Jason. It was almost like family to the band. So. You mean, right. Was it your intent to try to get everybody back together? Would you go off on your own if they weren't willing to, to play or participate? No, no. And i got to be honest with you, in 2007, um, that's what happened. We When we jumped in in 2007, um, well, again, we didn't get together for songs. We got together for the film. And when we got together, we ended up losing. Like, Tad wasn't able to do it at that time. And then something came up with Brian, and Brian had to split, and it left me, Mike, and Lou. And it was it just wasn't enough of the original Toxic to make it happen. There is definitely, again, uh, there's a connection that goes on between us when we talk. We're brothers. Uh, that's uh, all I have to say. These guys are like family. And, um, you know, it's just the right time to do it. I don't think that we've ever been a real sort of calculating band, maybe to our detriment. You know what I mean? Maybe that wasn't a good thing. 
I don't think we've ever sat back and said, okay, this is our plan, and, like, stroked our chins and, like, figured out what we were going to do. We've always kind of shot it from the hip, better for better or worse. We're, we're still like that. Um, this was a – this actually came about by me saying on my page, yeah, I'm going to do something – I want to do something with Toxic in 2013. And Mike taking that and jumping on his page and saying, it's official, Toxic is back in 2013. And that's really how we really got here. It was going to happen, though. I mean, that, it's okay that we did it the way we did it. I actually think it's pretty cool because, again, it's it's on our pages and it's with our friends and uh, we're kind of a grassroots thing and it's cool. Um, but that's how we got going with it. So we're – we sort of threw ourselves into it. There's a bunch of really cool stuff already written. Um, we've got new stuff coming, again, with the advent, with Jason jumping in. There's new possibilities in terms of direction, doing, you know, doing some different things. Um, we've grown up. Toxic, you said it before, uh, Toxic kind of got cut off, right? We put out two albums. There's a definite progression between World Circus and Think This. It's, uh, they're two different albums. Uh, and it always felt like there was something missing in that third slot. And even though it's been as long as it's been, I really, really don't feel uh, that it's that much of a difference in terms of who we are and why we're doing it. So it doesn't feel reunion, re, uh, reunion-ish to me. I, I don't like the word reunion anyway. It bothers me. Maybe that's just an ego thing. I don't know. But it just I, I, it fucking annoys me. Um, so, you know, I'd like to think that we're just – it's an extension – We've all had a chance to grow up and do other things in our lives. We're going to bring something new to it, and uh, but it's still relevant, man. It's still crushing. It's it's actually heavier. It is. It's a lot heavier in a way than old Toxic was. It's kind of changed a little bit. We're still thrashing. We're still very prog. There's definitely a heavy technical edge to it, but it's it's pretty brutal. It's a lot darker, a lot angrier. Um, it's rowdier. Uh, I, I'm pretty stoked to see what people think about it. I think it's going to be like a shocker because, you know, people get older, you figure they're going to mellow out, right? They're, they're going to kick back here a little bit, and we're not. It's not kicked back at all. In fact, it's the opposite. When Jason, I first shot Jason out the demos, he hit me back. He's like, dude, like this shit is insane. You know, so, <laughs> you know what I mean? So let's, see. let's see what happens, you know? Yeah, I, I can't wait to hear it. I mean, I'm sure it's because you know when you, you work on new tunes, and I mean, did you have anything left over from the old days that you just, you were dying to record or or work on that you were able to like redo now? We do, we do. We have a lot of stuff from back then that we want to redo, um, and we're going we're going to. I think we're going to be putting you know at this point, I, I, we've already talked about it anyhow. I think Wasteland from the original demo, we're going to try to put something together and and. Again, nothing is iron is in stone here. Nothing is ironclad. Uh, we're gonna record a bunch of stuff and sit back and listen to, to it and see what we like, see what fits with what. Because again, with old and new stuff, you got to be careful. You want there to be some continuity. You want the record to to gel and to work as a record. You don't want it to be like you know 1987, you know, fighting with 2013. So. We'll record them, and then we'll sit back on them and see what works with it. But, again, things that are kind of slated or, or definitely in consideration is Wasteland, uh, maybe Straight Razor, uh, Lost World has been kicked around. Tad may show up on a tune. Uh, I'm still kind of bugging him to do it. I really would love him to show up on at least one song. It would be great. Uh, and he likes Lost World, which was one of the sort of boombox recordings that we threw on for the uh, – uh, I forget which one – which which company released that particular song. But on the World Circus release, one of them, um, there's a copy of Lost World on there. And that's a song that we were we had written between World Circus and Think This that we want to do. So maybe Tad will show up on that. So there's three three or four tunes right off the bat from those days. Plus there's five or six tunes that are already sort of written and done. And then there's another batch of stuff that I'm kind of cooking up right now. So, yeah, we got a, we got quite a bit of material to work with. 
Oh, that's great. I know, like you were just saying, the tunes are darker, they're heavier. But when you sit down to write new music, do you try to, like, consciously say, you know, I have to kind of keep this, like, you know, what's hot to sound like, even though so many years have passed by and you've grown as a musician, you know, your interests have changed, you know, you've picked up different styles and techniques. So do you, like, worry about, like, mixing too much of something new in with something old or... Yeah, or, yeah, yeah I'd, be, I'd be a liar if I said no. You know, I'm not going to bullshit. Of course, I don't want to. I don't want to like. I don't want to be contrived with my writing. I don't want to kind of write to the audience because I think that that's wrong. I don't think you should do that. That's a form of selling out, and I don't want to do that. I really don't, and I don't think anybody. I keep saying I because I'm the one that's on the phone, but I'm speaking for the band. I think on the whole, when I say that, we don't want to. We don't want to just you know be more of that. We don't want to do more of the same. So, um, it's it's a, a tough. It's a tough thing to do when you've got a band like Toxic because Toxic is a is a we we're iconic in a way and I don't want to say that egotistically I don't mean that like that but I'm saying that there's a certain amount of like we came we were right at a time when there was just a burst of really cool new music and we were super super lucky to be in that wave of stuff it really was dumb luck I, we were just at the right place at the right time lucky us um, so it's it's tough to not acknowledge that we left a legacy with those records. And I can't not nod to them. At the same time, I don't want to twist up my writing to try and, uh, you know, appease or, you know, make, get people's approval by doing that. I still want it to be honest and new. So I guess as it, complicated as that sounds, it really is pretty simple. Yes, I do think about the old stuff. No, I'm not intentionally writing it in there. But I got to say, and I've had a couple people shoot it back to me, that it does sound like old toxic, that the riffing is still very similar. It is coming out of my head. I haven't changed that much, even though it's 25 years. It's still totally me. Anybody who knows me will tell you that. I haven't changed at all. Um, and the music is a reflection of my personality, and it's hyper and it's wacky. And, you know what I mean? It's yeah, still absolutely. banging around and, and, you know, weird as hell. So it, it's, uh, I think it's still toxic. I'm pretty sure we're going to hit the mark with that. Do you think the band would have had the success it did back in the day if you were still the photogenics? <laughs> the photogenics, brother. <laughs> uh, you know, the photogenics had some cool songs. We did some crazy punky shit. It was fun, you know. I, we had our thing there. That was that was the early punk punk thing at that point, you know, late 70s, 79, 1980. Yeah. Those are the time. I mean, you know, New York had we had such a great scene here in New York back in the day. From Lamar to the Paramount, all these clubs in between. There were so many places to go and play. I mean, how did you make your bones back then? Because, like, you know, we were saying before, the internet makes it so easy today for you to put something up there, and you know, a million people could see. But back then, it was, you know, you had to hit the ground running. I mean, yeah, you know, you had to hit the pavement, put up your flyers. Get around. Right. How did the band get itself known back then? Especially coming from, I think you guys were Westchester, Peekskill. Yeah, yeah. I'm tempted to say this answer. I don't know if I should. It's like self-incriminating. I dealt drugs, so I had money, and, That's I, and right. I could like actually, I could actually put the time into like going out and spreading the word. Now I'm only kidding. I'm half kidding. Um, you know, you did what you had to do, man. You want to get your music out. You know, nobody's going to do it for you. That's one thing. You've got to have industry, and I don't think that ever changes. I don't care what the technology is. You want your shit out there. You got to get it out there. You got to get out and push and work it. You know. No, I don't think anyone who's in the music business for five minutes has any illusion about what it takes to be in the music business. It is ruthless. It is thankless. Uh, it is the most difficult pain in the ass. Ah, it's the worst. But, dude, what else is better? What, what else yeah. in the world is better than making music or listening to music or being around music? 
Music is, man. It's it's everything in life. And when you ask why now, why do we come out and do something like this now? Because I think everybody comes to that conclusion. It is what I do, man. I don't have anything else. When it really comes down to it, I mean, I do. I've got a lot else. I've built a life. But ultimately, this is what I'm about. This is who I am. I connect more through this than I do in anything else in my life. So why else would I want to do something else? That's it, you know. And I think we had that drive even back then. I think we were, like, pretty driven for, for you know, a bunch of guys who just really kind of got together to jam. We we were pretty serious about what we did right off the bat. We practiced really hard. We were a five, six-day-a-week practicing band. We never slouched on that at all. I mean, for the years that we were together, five, six years, man, we probably practiced as much as any band alive to get that sound to where it was. And we got to a point where we really we didn't even have to hear each other on stage. We could play those songs because we knew each other so well and the music so well. Um so, you know, there was a there was a kind of an intensity about us even back then, and, that, and I think that still exists, exists. I'm sure that Mike and Brian are listening right now nodding and smiling, you know. I'm sure that they, <laughs> they know exactly what I'm talking about. I know, that's a good thing. You know, what's funny is that, like you said, this is like such a brutal business all around from, you know, from oh. venues to concerts to the record companies, and... And, you know, you're like you're a young band, you're starting out. At first, it's like you said, it's like a jam thing. You want to have a good time, play, write music. Then it becomes more serious. And all you want to do is get that record contract. That becomes like the most important thing is to get a contract. Then when you get it, most bands wind up regretting it because the labels were so ruthless back then. And it was just amazing. It's like, you know, you know watch what you ask for because you might get it. And then again, it winds up being the downfall of a lot of bands. And like, and like I said, that's one of the things that happened were toxic back then because we're not going to get MTV playing our music back then. Even the Headbangers both played a lot of shit, you know. But, you know, there's no outlets for it. There's no real radio, some, some, some college radio stations back in the day. So it's so much more difficult to, like, you know, to find somebody to help you out and support you. There's only so much you can do on your own, and that support has never really been there for us in metal. And, and it has to be, a, like, a, a big, you know, defeat when you, like, realize all this work and I just can't get nowhere be, no matter what I do because there's nowhere – on the outside to get any help from anybody. Yeah. No, it is. It's a total kick in the nuts. And you can hear it. You know, on our way up to World Circus, this is the focal point, right? We're writing songs because we want to get a record deal, okay? And if you listen to World Circus, there's a there's a happy, bouncy energy to World Circus. It's still dark. It's still heavy as hell. But there's sort of, sort of a boing to it. You know, it's got like a – there's a bounce to that record. It's, there's a happiness about it. And think this, that is completely absent. You don't hear that at all. Think this is way more serious, much more self-aware, much more worked out and, like, on it and really, like, product. You know, we were really, like, because we got hit in the face with what it was that it was. We're a, we're a product, and either the product is good and it sells, or the product isn't good and it doesn't sell and it isn't a product for very long. And that's a harsh reality, man. That's a, that's a you know, and it's unfortunate. That's a market constriction. I won't even get started on that. Because I could go for hours about that, but I can again, I think the internet the internet defeats that. You know, I want to say one thing real quick. Matt O'Shaughnessy, Midnight Metal, okay, back in the day was for us in Westchester County, and for a lot of people over in Jersey and out to Connecticut, that guy, man, was really a home base for a lot of people. And not only that, not only for the local scene, but the people who were coming through town. So much stuff that I got hip to through Midnight Metal. So, you know, really, Matt O'Shaughnessy, man, we should all do a tribute one day for that dude. And he was a maniac, and I don't know, you know, he didn't, not everybody probably has fond things to say about him, but I got to say, he did a lot for Toxic. I got nothing but good things to say about him. And the show and the whole scene, I thought it was great back in the day. Um, WSOU, man, 
WSOU was there plugging for years yeah. and years and years. You know, and they were great. They played great shit. I heard stuff on that on that station that I didn't hear anywhere else. You know, I would we'd be out and wherever we were traveling or whatever, and I'd come back and I'd tune into SOU and I'd be like, man, we got great radio here. You'd realize that because you'd go out in other parts of the country and they weren't playing anything like that. You know. That's true. Uh, and then we had clubs like the Rising Sun. Do you remember the Rising Sun by any chance? I remember the Rising Sun, the Paramount, Lamore, Lamore East. Uh, oh, yeah, well, so- those, yeah, those were bigger. But the Rising Sun in Yonkers was like kind of a special, special place. And again, anybody listening to this who's from that from those days is, is again smiling. I know somebody's nodding and smiling right now. Mo, the guy that owned the Rising Sun, would not turn the heat on. Okay, there was no heat in the club. <laughs> So if you had a winter gig at the Rising Sun, dude, you froze your fingers off. It's no bullshit. It was cold as hell, and we played speed metal. So for us to get up there and bang it out, man, we'd like be up there with like you know hats on. You know, I'm not even kidding. It was crazy, but it was awesome. It was a scene. You know, once again, if you didn't play at the Rising Sun, you weren't playing anywhere. I remember going to see SOD at the Rising Sun. I mean, it was just an awesome little hole in the wall, nitty gritty, shitty New York club, and it was the best, man. I love it. Were, I, I miss those places. They know? were great. There was another place up there. I don't remember if it was in Yonkers or New Rochelle. I think it was called Streets. Oh, yeah, Streets. That was another home of ours. We played Streets all the time. Streets was a little bit nicer than Moe's. Uh, New York, um, uh, Rising Sun, again, was really, man, was like the epitome of, like, bottom line, like the, the owner just doesn't care, never cleaned the bathroom. The, play, the place was insane, but it was an awesome metal hall. Streets was a little bit more of a, ni- a nicer club club because they did a dance thing during the week there too, so they had a dance floor and it was a little cleaner, it was a little nicer. We played with Pantera at Streets, we played with Testament at Streets, we played with all kinds of people at Streets. It was a great venue, man, and it would pack. The place would really, really pack. It was a, again a great center for metal at that time. Was that the hair metal Pantera with uh, Terry uh, Nunn or whatever his name was? <laughs> or was it no, the... no, no, no. That was right right before Cowboys hit the shelves. That was okay. their warm-up tour for Cowboys, and they were blistering. They were fucking amazing. We played with them a couple of times, actually, and they were really, really good, man. They were great. They were great yeah. bands. They were good you know, days. I know you know a lot what? of people don't like Pantera. You know, I know politically speaking there's a lot of thrash heads out there that hear me say that about Pantera and go, no, Josh, no. But you know what? I got to give Pantera their dues, and, and you can't say anything. Those guys blazed the trail. They did their own thing. Um, they sold a lot of records. I got nothing but respect for Pantera and what they did. I, I think especially the first three records are all killer. I like them. Yeah. And you know what? And they did it at a time when, you know, the scene was in, in, in chaos and a collapse. They kept it going, and they kept playing. And they were out there for a long time doing that, you know, so – Anybody true, through the 90s going. when nobody else was out there doing yeah. it, that's true. They kept it heavy, right? There wasn't a lot of American acts doing that. You know, heavy music migrated, man. It went to Europe. It went to South America. It went to Japan. It left. It was gone, you know. Um, yeah, and those guys kept it going, so you got to give them credit. Without a doubt. You know, Josh, I mean, I could talk to you forever, man, but i got to wrap this up a little bit because i got another interview. Okay. But you know what? I'm going to get on some music. Tell me what's coming up for the band this year. I know you got new music, maybe a new album this year, or some touring, or some some concert dates. And where can everybody find you guys on the net to keep up with you and find out what's going on? Okay, well, we've got our Facebook page. You can go to Toxic 2013 on Facebook. You can catch us there. We've got a website up, ToxicMetal.com. It's gonna, it's, it's just a splash page right now, but it's coming. Okay, uh, so it, you give us a little time. We're gonna have merchandise. Uh, again, this was grassroots. This is what happens when the internet, when you live on Facebook, <laughs> you know, yeah. secrets aren't kept. Back in the day, this would have been released, you know, would have been much more together the way it came out. So it's going to be kind of a gradual build up. 
there is a lot of news, but I also have a couple of things worked out with other people where I promise to keep some things secret. So let me just say this. We're going to try to get a record out by the end of 2013. Whether or not it ends up actually being in 2013, the release, I don't know. We'll at least get a couple of songs out for people to hear. Um, but definitely look for us touring in 2014. There's a lot of talk about festivals. I don't know if we'll do tour tour. It depends on what the money is, finances are, what they are. Um, but we're, you know, I'm talking to Dave DeSanto on, on Facebook right now from Vector. There's talk about doing some shows with those guys, Vector and Toxic. There's a strong nice. crossover audience. Um, so there's some really, really great stuff in the works, man. And I'm, you know, we're super stoked. We're very happy. We're, I can't thank everybody enough, including you and everybody, for making us feel as welcome as we're feeling. I'm, I, I'm not even just saying that. I'm not blowing smoke up people's ass just so that they'll buy my disc. I'm being honest. It's amazing the response that we've had. It's so fucking metal. It's not funny. Our community rocks. It's not the biggest. It's not the prettiest. But you know what? It's a tight-knit group of people, and metal people are cool as fuck. So that's it. Toxic for 2013, and we'll see you guys soon, man. Hey, Josh, the best luck with the band. You know, I'll be following you guys. When that record comes out, come back on, and we'll promote the shit out of it. Outstanding. Thanks, Mike. Anytime, Josh. Take care, buddy. Hey, Tommy, stop talking so much, man. Oh, I, <laughs> you know, I, I, it's, you know I, I, I know what happened and everything, but, I, you know, we'll talk about it another time. It's okay. <laughs> All right, Josh. Right, his comments. I don't know. <laughs> All right, man. See Take you guys care. later. Thank you. Take okay. Care. All right. Let's get on one more toxic tune. Then Kenny Pierce of PierceofMetal.com will be calling in. How about we do black and white? <clears throat>
yeah, Toxic, Black and White. That comes off the band's 1989 record, Think This. And before that, gave you a little pain and misery off the World Circus records in 1987. And I'm hoping that by the end of this year, I'll be playing something off the yet untitled third record by the band. So I want to thank Josh for talking to us today. I've been a big fan of those guys, like I said, from way back in the day. And it was a pleasure to have them on. It just sucks. T, when you have somebody that's like real talkative and fun to have on, and we got to kind of like, you know, cut it off because we have a second guest. Yeah, the time. time yeah, but right. we did good so far this year. We really didn't have two guests a week until this month, and then I got overwhelmed with interviews, so we had to double up to kind of get everybody in a timely fashion, you know? Yeah. And uh, speaking of timely and fashion, who's more timely and fashionable than Mr. Ken Pierce from PierceandMetal.com? Kenny, what's going on? Hi, lads. Happy St. Patrick's Day to you. Happy St. Patrick's Day. Oh, you know, I forgot all about that. So nice to be a part of the Metal Mayhem show today, I tell you that. Uh, It's good to have you here again, Kenny. So what's going on, buddy? I'm confused, man. I'm here. I I, I listen in, you know, periodically when I'm I'm doing my thing. So I always go back to the podcast, of course, and I'm... I'm listening in about Tommy giving you an hour, and then I come back and I hear you saying if he was in Vermont, they'd be married, and then I'm I'm lost. Well, I just I mean know, that you know, I don't know what so, you guys are up to anymore. I I do I have to monitor the show every second? Is this, I just mean we're so make close. sure there's no like, shenanigans going on. There. Like domestic partners were so close. I'm a happily married man of twenty something years, but you know I've no time. So you're on the metal down low. Is that what's going on? Yeah, very down low. <laughs> <laughs> Oh God! So hey, hey, you know, let's let's get right down to the nitty gritty. And you know, uh, it's been a. I didn't mention this last week because we were in so pressed for time last week. But uh, uh, the Grim Reaper has been hunting down musicians lately, and uh, I don't think I mentioned that Alvin Lee passed away about a couple of weeks ago, and uh, yeah. didn't get to talk about that uh, quickly. Great guitarist, a lot of influence, and uh, from the Ten Years After band, also one of the guys in. Uh, in the Allman Brothers, uh, the Dan Toller, who was uh, Allman Brothers fame way back in the day, he he's gone, and um, one of the first guitarists of the band. Yes, now we're in a metal program, but a lot of our fans and readers and listeners all enjoy the music of Yes because all the prog metal bands focused on what Yes was doing way back in the day. Uh, that would be uh, what is it? Peter Peter Banks. I got confused yeah. with Tony Banks, who played in Genesis, and I was like, "Wait a minute! How come there's nothing about Tony Banks dying?" <laughs> confused there for a I was second. Confused. I thought it was Billy Banks, the guy who did that Billy. exercise video. Oh, the what was that? The Tybo? Tybo, yeah, that's right. Has Has anybody ever lost weight with with dancing around like that? I just want to know because no. if I could lose weight dancing, I'd be dancing twenty four seven. I would, I would I'd like be to, the Gene Kelly for the staff of heavy metal. There the you problem go. is, Mike, you'll just dance around, get all excited, you know, get get all, you know, exercise, and then you sit down and have a plate, have a plate of lasagna. Nah, nah, hey. nah I'm on Weight Watchers this year. I'm down 44 pounds in, in two and a half months, so I'm doing good. All right. Good I'm going to clap for that one over here That's at the right. Medical right. Man Center. Now, so, uh, but uh, the, the sad, one of the saddest deaths uh, just happened, and this this one bothers me a lot, is uh, Clive Burr of uh, yeah. original Iron Maiden fame passed away just the other day. Multiple yeah. sclerosis was what he had for a number of years, and uh, it had taken its toll, and he passed away in his sleep on Tuesday night. So that's uh, that's all I have as far as news was. I didn't really feel like talking about anything else. I don't care about anything else when when everything's sad, you know. Sure, I understand. 
So, but uh, and that's all I have for for reports on that stuff. Do you want to go right to the calendar, or do you guys have to ask me anything else? I don't want to keep you because you had a lot of. No, no, no. Go right to the calendar. All right, I'll go right to the calendar because you said so. Thank hey, you. here's what we got going on tonight. You got the Allman Brothers over at Beacon Theater. Looks like this is the closing night of their many night residency. The band played a whopping 11 nights at the Beacon over the course of the last few weeks. So you want to get over there if you want to get a little bit of Allman Brothers just one more time. You can still make it, and if there's a ticket outside, good luck. Scott Weiland celebrates his divorce of Stone Temple Pilots over at City Winery, still continuing to rock and roll and doesn't seem to be bothered by the band saying, you're fired. Um, I don't know who's the worst for wear with that one, but it doesn't seem to be slowing him down at all, and that is going on on Monday. Haven't been to the City Winery yet. Want to definitely check that place out. Looks pretty cool to see a band in. Sounds good, too. Wednesday, Wednesday night, you, you've been there? No, oh, it just sounds like a nice name. Plus, Scott Wiley can't slow down. All the crack he's on, it keeps him going. There you go. On Wednesday, you got uh, there's an orgy going on at the studio at Webster Hall. And Mike, don't get excited. I'm not talking about the Roman kind. I'm talking about the industrial metalish punkish band yeah. who is going to be doing a set over there at the studio at Webster Hall with the likes of Vampires Everywhere, Davy's Suicide, My Parasites. And Candy Brain. This is going to be an interesting show, since all of those bands are on the unique side. Remember, it's an it's an earlier starting show based on the number of performers, and that is how the studio works. Um, Thursday night is KMFDM over at Irving Plaza. It's been a while since these guys have uh, hit New York City, and they are bringing their industrial sound over to Irving Plaza for those who wish to partake. Friday night is one of those nights that you love if you were those old school rock fans looking for something to do all the time, all night, and in several places. You got Heaven, Helen Money over at St. Vitus Bar. She's kind of like an electro-experimental cellist. And she's hitting St. Vitus. I'm sure all the uh, folks over there will enjoy that show. While Lou Graham, legendary voice of Farna, is over at the City Winery. He's going to be doing a set of material. And Led Zeppelin II is at Gramercy Theater. This is a great presentation of the the mighty uh, Thundering Gods, so you definitely want to check them out if you are a Led Zeppelin fan. Really, really good presentation. Y&T is at Stage 48 on Friday. Now, be aware, friends, this show was originally scheduled for the Saturday uh, that would follow it, but it has been moved up one day. So if you have a ticket for Saturday, it's still good for Friday, but the show is now on Friday, so don't forget about it. Uh, and late night over at BB King Blues Club, you got Zozo, who is a Led Zeppelin tribute band. So if you've not gotten your fill of Led Zeppelin at the Gramercy, you can go over to BB King's and see more of it. Or if you're done with Y&T, you can go over to there and enjoy a little Zeppelin. And that is all she wrote for the week. So remember, my friends, as always, uh, keep track of us on Piercing Metal's Facebook page. Come down and give us a like or follow our Twitter, and we will try to keep you in the loop with the scoop from the heavy metal beat from our pulse-pounding street. Ooh, I like that you had a pulse-pounding in there. It made it sound different. All this talk about sex was making me horny. Okay, it sounds good to me. All yeah, right, Mr. Pierce, thank you very much, buddy. I appreciate all your info this week. I will talk to you next week. Bye. You got it, buddy. Take, Take care. Take care, buddy. You know, Tay, if we got together like four or five psychics, like, uh, uh, you know, the Long Island Medium, 
yeah. James Van Prog, Sylvia Brown, that other guy, John Edwards. And we had each one of them channel a dead rock star. You think we get like a band going like from Beyond the Grave? That would be cool. Like a jam, man. That'd yeah. Nice. You know, we'll get like, you know, Sylvia Brown to, you know, dig up Randy Rhodes. Uh, we'll get the, you know, John Edwards to resurrect Clive Burr. And we'll, we'll pick one like instrument. And we get like this ghost band going. That's a cool idea. Yeah, wouldn't it be? That sounds like a metal matinee in the making. Hey, there you go. Yeah, I'll, I'll write each one of them and ask them for their favorite metal tune, and then uh, we'll see if we can resurrect uh, those artists and we'll play the songs on a metal matinee. Excellent, man. Yeah. Well, speaking of metal matinees, uh, what do I got lined up for this Thursday at 12 o'clock? It's uh, Unholy Savior. It's all those bad and evil things that happen in the church. So don't forget to tune in at 12 o'clock. I just found a really cool picture that I wanted to use. So I kind of, like, you know, work songs out around the picture. <laughs> Funny. <laughs> yeah, but it'll, it'll be a good show. And then next week, we have the interview that Tommy and I did with uh, Biff Bifit and Doug Scout from Saxon. So we'll get that on. And I know we have somebody else next week. Oh, we got uh, the whole Brooklyn Militias calling in next week. Joe Cangelosi and Rich Day used to be in Whiplash and Creator and a whole bunch of other bands. And their new uh, guitar player and drummer. So, uh, uh, Joe is a drummer. I'm sorry. Guitar player and singer. And their singer is Glenn Hansen. He used to also be in Whiplash back in the day. So, it's like three quarters of uh, the old Whiplash. Wow, check that. So, all four of those guys are going to be calling in live. And then we have the interview that Tommy and I did the other night with the boys in Saxon. Tommy, you had a good old time. So, I, I tell you, when you pulled out those, uh, what do you call it, the, the Militia Fan Club fanzines? Yeah. And they were in, in, in mint condition like they were? Yeah. H- holy cow. And then you, you asked him about the guy that ran the fan club, and he said that he's still uh, he's still involved so, with them somehow. He does the forum, yeah. He yeah. Does the forum. See, I never I never went on their forum. Okay. I don't really, you know, I'm a crazy. I don't know. I was never like a fan of forums. Yeah, I know. I'm the same Remember way. Remember, people used to do the forums years ago. I, I could never, I could never monitor them right. I always forgot my password. Yeah. You know what I mean? And then when Face, when the MySpace came out, I thought it was a perfect, you know. Upgrade of forums, you know, and yeah, that's what happened. The forums went bye bye when social media became popular. And I couldn't believe it. I went on the Saxon site, and they still have the forum, you know. Wow. So I, you know, I I got to make up a name and you know a nice cool name and uh, get in there. I want to try to move. I want to try to use the heavy metal mayhem so they know who I am. You know what I mean? Like if if he gets on there, you know, if uh, he'll remember you because you were the guy that because you were the guy that he had to scold during interview for talking. Yes, I got I got scolded because I uh, you got dug shushed. off on a uh, side. It was funny because you told me Doug is like he's not talkative, right? So I go um, no. I, actually, I asked the question of Biff, but he didn't catch it. I asked. I was like, oh, so you still got like a, a good following in Chicago? Because he was talking about them having uh, an awesome uh, St. Patty's Day where they they. <clears throat> the don't Chicago River. Much, uh, you don't give away too much in the interview here. Yeah, yeah well, they, they, they turn the Chicago River green, you know, and say, yeah. Daddy. So I asked, you know, if they have a big... And Doug just started muddling, you know, saying, yeah, well, you know, the last time we were there, it was very good. He's like, shh, 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 shh. I'm like, oh, next week. You had Biff Bifus scold Doug Scarra and Tommy Flanger for talking during an interview. Yeah, and then that was it. Doug didn't say anything for like, no, he didn't. He had a good time. Good times, good times. And it seemed like if they didn't have to go, if they didn't have to, if they didn't want to go to, they wanted to go out, I guess they wanted to get the fuck out. They were going to see, who was it? Uh, <laughs> they were going Soulfly. To, 
SoFi downtown, you know. I guess they wanted to make an appearance, you know. But uh, if me and Mike had nothing to do and we went, well, they would have probably uh, said, come why? on along. Well, Buddy Kenny was there representing yeah. Camille Mayhem like always. But we'll we'll get that on next week. I don't want to give too much of it away. Yeah, we it's all well, but, uh, you know, a little teaser. Yeah, a little teaser. It's like when I give my wife a little teaser. A little big teaser. A little big teaser. If there's a fact you, remember there was a song called Big Teaser. That's right. She's a big teaser. You know what? I'm going to have to play that two next week now. All right, good. Excellent. Get that one up there. We'll get a whole bunch on next week. But let me see here. We've got enough time for one or two more tunes, and we got to get the interview with Lonnie Paul going. So, fantastic. <laughs> like you cough up your lung. Here's Midnight Machine.
uh, you know, Kenny was talking about Clive Burr, and that was Clive Burr's Escape. They were a pretty good band, you know, a little lighter than, you know, I expect when it came out to. Yeah. But they weren't bad. I, most of the band I've, I remember was Praying Mantis. Uh, I think it was uh, Tino Troy and uh, Chris Troy from Praying Mantis. Oh. And uh, Bernie Shaw was a singer for the band Grand Prix, who was, uh, I love those guys. Yeah. And they had someone else on keyboard. I really don't remember who the hell it was uh, uh, back then. But they put that out now, and I just came across a really good bootleg of uh, of Clive Burr's Escape. So I got to figure out a way of getting onto one of the metal matinees. Have to work a show around that, you know, around one of their songs. But most of the show was uh, Praying Mantis songs because most of the band was Praying Mantis at the time. But oh, okay. he's gone now, so much different than the Iron Maiden stuff. But he played with so many bands. He was with Trust and uh, right, Stratus right. and uh, and and he was with uh, Samson. I was reading. I didn't know that. I don't. I don't remember that either. Yeah, it was. Um, they were talking about it. Um, you know, like all. <clears throat> all, all the little write-ups, you know, and it mentioned that um, Dickinson mentioned that he was in Samson at one. Time. I, I don't, I don't, I know that you know after I made, he went, he went to Trust, he played with them for a while. Then he right. went to Stratus. He had that record throwing shapes out. Uh, then he did Gog Magog with uh, Paul Diano. Right. And I, I can't, I can't remember what else was on that EP at that time. But uh, Dennis Stratton and Dennis Stratton. And then he had Elixir for a little bit. Then did the, did he, we talked last week about Desperado with D. Schneider. You and I he did that. Yeah, I And then he did the Praying Mantis stuff. So, yeah, you know, he died but, way too young. Yeah, God bless him. But, you know, I mean, I feel like, I just, you, feel like you know the guy, you know, because you've exactly. been with him so long, you know. I know. You know, it's like we're getting older now, T, and it's like we went from burying grandparents to parents and like last week, my wife buried her husband who was 47 years old. My wife's girlfriend buried her husband who was 47 years old at the wake. Mm. And just like now we're burying, you know, our friends and our spouses and stuff like that. You know, as we get old, it's horrible, man, I tell you. That's, yeah. Life, uh, life, life, all right, well, you know what? We're going to do one more tune, and then we'll get that interview on. We'll go right into the interview with Lonnie Paul from Adler. Right. And I'll play another tune, and we'll talk a few more minutes before we wrap things up. But uh, speaking of somebody who's long gone... Uh, David Wayne from Metal Church has his been Reverend, leader of fools. Yeah. 
kiss the actor's last day in an ignorant play. All that is done now is nothing to say. There you go, Reverend. A little soft tune over there. I was going to go right into the interview, T, but I forgot. I just want to mention our great sponsor, Rock and Roll, etc. Okay. T, your necklace is coming in the mail. Uh, she's just been backed up. So I, I spoke yeah, to everybody who's waiting for the Iron Maiden necklaces. They'll probably get them this week. Uh, she's, she got a little backed up over there with some of them. Uh, she's got a little stuff going on. But go over to eBay. Check out rockandrollexcetera.com. You get all this great music memorabilia. It's all vintage and classic stuff, but it's, and it's brand new. On top of that, it's been locked away in the vaults for a long time. And this week, any three people who email me after the show and get in touch with me any way they want, will send you out some testament patches. Uh, I don't know if the back patches are regular logo patches, but just get in touch with me. I'll get them out here. And every week, there's always some great stuff to give out. And the people that were online for the Tesla stuff, uh, you should have that in the mail already. It was sent out this week. So just want to thank our sponsor, Rock and Roll, et cetera, for all that great memorabilia that they give out every week. Good to see that they're busy, you know. That's right. It's very good. So you'll get your soon, T. But right now, here's Lonnie Paul of Adler. Lonnie, how are you? This is Mike. Hey, how'd you know it was me? Ah, I saw the number. <laughs> Recognize the area. How you doing, phone. Mike? <laughs> I'm doing great. How are you? I'm wonderful. Couldn't be better. That's good to know. And I know you guys just got back from Japan not long ago. So uh, how'd that go? Couldn't have went better. Uh, the guys unloaded, treated us. With respect, uh, they were a great bunch of guys, and even their even their road crew was 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 killer. I mean, they were pro all the way. Made it really a lot of fun for us. Uh, I'm glad. You know, they say the fans in, in Japan are outrageous, man. They they still live and breathe it, and and they love the music. How how they react to Adler this time around? Oh, they went nuts. It was it was it was great. I, we didn't want to leave. <laughs> I don't blame you. That's good. But you know, Lonnie, you're the last holdout from Adler's Appetite. You know, you came into the band like towards the end. Is Adler a continuation of what you guys were doing then, or did you guys look at this as a whole new thought and something completely different? This is a completely new project started from scratch. Um, when I was in Adler's Appetite, Stephen turned to me and he basically said, "Hey, I'm tired of doing this. You know, I've been doing this." since the departure of Guns N' Roses, I want to start something new. And, uh, you know, I, when we were on the bus touring together, I would play him, I'm a songwriter, I write all the time, and I was uh, playing him some songs that I had, had written, and he said, you know, I, I think this is the new sound that I want. So uh, when we got back home, he basically fired everybody, and I started writing a bunch of songs for him. Uh, but we needed a singer, so I was out one night and I uh, ran into my friend Jay Rustin. You probably know the story already because we've said it many many times in interviews. Yeah. But basically, yeah, Jay Rustin turned us on to Jacob, and then Jacob and I started writing together, and the rest is history, as they say. But yeah, this is a brand new project. It's 
got nothing to do with Adler's appetite whatsoever. Well, uh, do you like even like Trek? Because you know, over the years, you know, the band's always tapped on Guns N' Roses songs. Are you going to strictly concentrate on the Adler material from the new record, or do you have to dig back into the other stuff till you come up with more material? Well, we've got a, a record full of eleven songs, and every every time that we play, we we do the whole record, and at the very end, uh, if there's time, because there have been shows where we haven't done any Guns N' Roses songs. Uh, but yeah, at the very end, we'll throw in one or two at the most uh, Guns N' Roses songs. And to be perfectly honest, um, uh, fortunately for us, some of the reaction that we've gotten uh, were fans coming up to us after the show saying, you know, we came to hear Guns N' Roses songs, but by the end of the set, we didn't care if we heard them or not. And i got to tell you, you know, starting a project like this, that's your biggest concern. You know, are the people going to expect more Guns N' Roses songs or... You know, what are they going to think of the new stuff? And uh, we couldn't be more pleased with the reaction. I'm glad. And it should be that way because that's a part of, uh, you know, Stephen's past from many, many years ago. And, you know, it's time for, a, I guess, like a new start. That's where the band, you know, left everything behind and moved forward. And I think that's a great way of doing it. But I guess, you know, you're, that, that over, there's always going to be that, you know, overhang of the name. And I guess there's nothing you could do about that because they're just such a famous band. Yeah, it, it, exactly. You take the good with the bad. I mean, there's there's good things about it. Obviously, you know that, that we get the better shows and the, more recognition. You know, I mean, even you and I are on the phone right now because basically because of that. If we were a brand new band, I'm not so sure that people would take notice as quickly. Uh, but ultimately, in the end, it's it's going to be the new songs and the new project because you can only go so much with 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 the old band, especially since since Axel's out there doing it with. A, a whole new batch of guys, and he's keeping that name alive, separate from the original members. So, you know, they've they've all got that that thing to face as well. So, yeah, you know, you were talking like you know, if you were a new band, do you think it helps or hurts any having? Because you know, twenty five years ago, when you have a member from a you know a band that was as big as Guns N' Roses in there, you know, you're like, wow, this is great because it's publicity. Today, the whole business, the industry, is changed. It's completely different. You really have to make your own bones no matter who you have in the band these days and no matter what name is behind it. Do you find that to be more true than not? You know, surprisingly enough, that's, that is exactly what we're finding out. Uh, we expected, uh, you know, I, I, I guess we expected a few more doors to be opened because of his name. Um, but, yeah, since it is a brand-new project, people look at it differently. And, and like you said, it's a different time. So, yeah. I mean, like, and again, it's the good with the bad. As far as press is concerned, yeah, it's it's great because we 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 get kind of a, a a cut to the front of the line, so to speak. But but when it comes to like tours and and even getting our stuff placed in, in TVs and stuff, we're we're in the same line as everybody else. Yeah, it, it, it's definitely become a harder business, you know, to make your bones in these days than it used to be. And, you know, the record companies and all the kind of, you know, support from, you know, management on it is real rough. But does the music part of it still stay the same? I mean, you still go about writing music the way you always have, and do you try, or do you try to cater to, like, the change in market or the change in environment? Well, you know, this has come up a few times. Um, I, I personally have always been of the opinion that if you start writing for certain genres or certain audience, you're going to fall short every time. I find that when I'm writing songs personally, and I know Jacob feels the same way, when we're writing songs, it's got to be something that we like and we 
we, we care to a certain extent about what other people think, but ultimately if we don't like it, then how can we sell it, you know, live or even on on a record? So in short, I guess um, we just write for ourselves and hope that the people dig it, you know? Well, I, I, you definitely accomplished that with Back from the Dead. I mean, I mean, the title so apropos of everything that's gone on. Now that it's been out for a while, it came out last year. When you look back on it now, do you feel the same way as when you were recording it? Because I'm sure when you're wrapped up in the album and you're going over those songs over and over again, they probably lose a little meaning or they kind of get lost in translation. But now when you look back at what you put out, do you say, "Wow, well, you know, this was, you know, this was really good." You, you know, um, we all kind of believe it or not. Even though it was spread out over a certain amount of time, a few months, the actual recording time was very short. We were only in there maybe three weeks of actual recording time, and we knew at the at, at the time that we were, well, we knew that we were having a great time. We knew that the melodies were fun when when we got in there to sing backups and and we were laying down the tracks. It, it was fun all the way. So we kind of knew that we had something. Uh, and and again, it goes back to whether or not anybody else liked the record. We knew we were making a record that we wanted to listen to. That that's important, it really is. But are the expectations higher? You think for you guys putting out this record because it's been about seven or eight years since the last Adler's Appetite record came out. You know, everybody knows Stevens. You know, troubles in the past, and he's moved on from that. So do you feel like people are expecting more of you guys this time? You really had to deliver more than you might have wanted to. Well, fortunately, uh, we ha- we had the drummer from Guns N' Roses and from from Adler's Appetite. Uh, so, so when you start with the the basics, such as drums, whether there was pressure or not, we we didn't feel it. You know, we we just thought, you know, shit, we're just going to go out there and 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 make uh, make the record we're going to make, and and people are either going to dig it or not. We we really didn't bring any pressures like that into the studio, or at least I, I know that we didn't talk about it, and I know that I personally didn't feel it, Now I don't know whether Jacob was feeling that or not, uh, you'd have to talk to him, but uh, but me personally, no, I, I, I mean, I just went in there, again, just thinking, hey, we're going to make a great record, and, and this is the sound, and that's all there is to it. Well, you definitely did that. I mean, you know, there's so many genres of, of hard rock and heavy metal that have, you know, popped up over the years and continue. But nothing's better than just some kick-ass rock and roll, you know? And that's what you guys deliver. I mean, people forgot, like, over the years how to write catchy songs, songs that have verses and choruses, you know, lyrics you're going to remember, things you're going to sing along a hump to. That's just kind of lost over the years. And you guys, you know, are one of the few bands that are bringing that back where, you know, you bring up one of your songs and I, and I, I can hum the melody to it. It's just, you guys have just created a great sound within the band. What a great compliment. Thank you very much. And did you find that that's just your songwriting style? Yeah, believe it or not, I, I when I turn on the radio, I I, I mostly listen to, to, to pop music. And uh, I know Jacob writes a lot of Top 40 stuff for other artists. So uh, I guess pop is our background uh, in, in certain aspects, but uh, obviously we like the metal too. So I, I guess between the combination... Uh, you're gonna get what you what you got. Yeah, I know some of you guys don't live around with you know near each other or within rehearsal distance of each other. Is that hinder the band? But I know what to say with the internet and you know the MP3s and file sharing. It's a lot easier for bands and musicians to kind of you know shuffle the music back and forth to create a song. Is that the way it goes with the band, or do you try to get together in a room and write at the same time, or is that not the way the band works? Um, the three of us. Um 
Jacob, the, our singer, lives in Alabama. The rest of us do live within two miles of each other. Okay. Uh, Johnny the bass, Johnny the bass player lives a mile away from me, on my way to Stevens, uh, and then our rehearsal rooms. I mean, we're all literally within two and a half miles of each other, and the rehearsal room. We practice all the time. Um, but when it, yeah, but when it comes to songwriting, we do have to share files back and forth. But with with technology now, I mean, you can pick up the phone even, and and if I send Jacob a song, you can just say, hey, you know that verse? Why don't you know? He'll just hum it to me over the phone. Why don't we try something like this? Or he'll, you know, record something and just send it back and say, hey, do this instead, or vice versa. And it, it's it's a lot easier than you would think. Yeah, I, I you know there are bands today where they have members. I mean, literally all over the world. I mean, from multiple countries and everything. So, and they all make it work, and you know, they get together like they rehearse. And so, I'm sure it's not that big of a deal, like you said. But they get Alabama almost is another country in a way. So, I guess it's kind of the same thing. Oh yeah, yeah. And, and you know, honestly, we've only rehearsed with Jacob. Literally on one hand, you could count the times that we actually rehearsed. Uh, we've played more shows together than we've rehearsed with Jacob. Wow. Well, I mean, you know, the band is tight. If you watch some of the videos that are up on YouTube and other places, the band is tight. I mean, when you first got together, the four of you, for the first time, did you kind of know this was it, that it was going to work, or do you have to really, like, get to know each other and play a while before you get that feeling? Well, we were – we just kind of knew it was going to work. Well, knew and I guess hoped that it would work. We we, we knew that we liked each other. Uh, Johnny's been a friend of mine, the bass player, for for years, um, and Stephen and I knew that we were buddies, and and uh, as soon as anybody talks to Jacob, you fall in love with him instantly because he's just the nicest guy in the world. Uh, so so I, I guess we just knew it was going to work, and 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 kind of hoped, but we 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 knew more than we hoped. Yeah, well that's a good thing. And you know, Lonnie, the first time I came across you was when you had joined that was Appetite. What did you have going on before that? You had any? Did you have any recording or touring bands before that? I was. Um, well, the answer is yes. I've, I've been in many, many, many bands. In fact, when I went to Japan, it was funny. There was a, a fan that came up to me, and, and he had like seven of my records of various projects, half of which I didn't even put out, and I was shocked that he even had them. <laughs> I was like, what are you doing with this? I didn't even release this. Yeah. But um, but a lot of local bands here in L.A., two of which had a, independent deals. Um, one was a band called Tilter World, where I was the singer, and uh, and uh, Michael Thomas, the the other guitar player from Adler's Appetite, he was my guitar player, which is how I got into into Adler's Appetite. He had called me up and he said, "Hey, you know, we need a second guitar player. Are you interested in learning some Guns N' Roses songs and coming out on tour with us?" And so that's how I got in with with Steven. And then the the more current band uh, than even that was a band called Still Standing, and they're still together, but they they they're a three piece now since I left. But we were. Um, uh, produced uh, uh, Marty Fredrickson, who produced. You probably know the name. He produced yeah. last. Uh, yeah, he's written a lot of songs for Errol Smith. Produced Motley Crue, Buck Cherry, and all these kind of guys. But he he produced our record, and we put out a, a label through. We put out a record on a label through him and some some money backers. But it it also kind of fell apart. So it's the same old Hollywood story. You, you're in a <laughs> million bands, and they all fail, and and then all of a sudden one hits. So it's that's kind of my background. Yeah, it's like hitting a lottery, you know, in the music business. You just got to be at the right place at the right time, and I think that's what's going to happen with Adler this time. And because uh, I said you got a great lineup, a great album with amazing songs on there, and I know that this year, I mean, you guys are going out. I mean, you've done a few shows, but I hear you're going out for like May, almost like October, November. You're going to be on the road for like five or six months straight. 
Yeah, that's that's absolutely true. In fact, uh, we'll be doing some more shows, I believe, with Duff down in South America that we haven't announced yet. Um, it'll be on our website uh, just as soon as they they confirm them up. But yeah, there's going to be no breaks. It, it may be a week here and there, but we can't wait. Uh, it's this break stuff that's killing us. We're just sitting around going, man, we got this record, we got a tour. Yeah, that has to be the hardest part is the downtime because, like I said, you create the album, you're dying to get out perform, and sometimes you know it takes a while to string. I mean. Getting on a tour today is hard. Putting shows together is it's a chore for any any band. So uh, I can imagine what it's like twiddling your thumbs waiting for it to take place. But it's coming. It'll be here before you know it. That's true. And it's funny because even when we were in Japan, uh, Stephen and I were back backstage and, you know, basically fiddling our thumbs. And, and Stephen's and I both were looking at each other like, let's let's play already. And, and then I turned to him and I said, this is this is what we get paid for, the wait. We play the shows for free. You know, Everybody says that, but it, it's true as a musician. It's the sitting around time that, that you get paid for. We we play shows for free. Yeah, that's a, that's that's a great way like. of putting it, yeah. Well, you know, like we were saying earlier, you know, it is, it is a difficult business to be in today. And, you know, years ago, record companies, everybody made their bones on album sales. It was like, you know, if you didn't sell this many albums, the band was worth shit. Even bands that sold hundreds of thousands. That doesn't happen today because of the downloading. Uh, so how does, you know, what do bands go by the judge? Because, like, you can't say, like, well, only 200 copies of the album were sold, but 50,000 were downloaded, you know, illegally. So that's like, a, that's like a, it's a bad thing, you know. But how does a band judge, like, how they're doing, you know, album-wise, considering that you really can't count on sales because it's not a real reflection of what the band's, you know, it's hard to explain how the music is getting out there, but it's just not being paid for. That's exactly true, and it's it's hard to gauge but I do know what I do know that the last few shows that we've played, I look out in the audience, specifically in, in Japan, I'm looking out in the audience and everybody in the damn crowd is singing our songs. They don't even know the language, but they're I can see their mouths moving to the words of the songs. So everybody is getting the stuff. Um and believe it or not, we did sell out of CDs that we brought to the shows. Um but I, I think that's more of just they want something to take away from the show with our you know, that we can sign and this kind of stuff. So I don't know. It just is what it is, and uh, I can't change it no matter how much I wish it was different. Um, so we're just going to just live in the real world and, and go out there and do what we do. That's all you can do. I guess, you know, merchandising and, and selling the stuff at the shows has probably become a bigger thing than it used to be in the past. I mean, merchandise is always a major moneymaker. But I guess today that's more important because you can't really count on album sales, you know, just because of the downloading. That's exactly right. But fortunately, yeah. uh, the response so far has been great. We we make almost as much in merchandise as we do on the shows, and and and, and we've just started. So who who knows what'll it be over the summer? Yeah, I, I I still say I don't know how they can't figure out a way of stopping it. I know there's always some kid that'll come up with another way of you know figuring out how to get a record for free on the internet and stuff. But there has to be a way. I mean, because I always feel like if you don't buy the record, and I always say the records are cheaper today than they were back in the 80s or the 90s, and tickets for shows are cheaper today than they were back in the day, and you're getting better packages. And I, people just don't, if they don't buy it, you might not be able to put one out in the future. Maybe you guys are lucky enough because you have a, you're a bigger band with more backing, but a lot of other bands, they live and die. They pay for everything on their own, and if they don't recoup some of the money, they just can't continue. That's, that's exactly right. You know, I, I was talking to. To, to Pilsen, Jeff Pilsen, who produced our record, and you know he put out a, a record recently with George Lynch, and and they call it TNN. Uh, 
uh, and they did some docking songs and all this kind of stuff. But they, he told me that the first week that that came out, he found a website that had, was giving it up for free, and there were over thirty thousand downloads. Wow. Now, if you count, if you add that times ten, that's three hundred thousand dollars, which of course is the price of the average record, probably even more. So they've lost out. They just within that first week, they lost potentially lost out on three hundred thousand dollars. So. It, it it could it's devastating if, if you look at it like that. It is. It's astronomical when you when you put the number to it like that. It, that's incredible because, like I said, that's money that should be going into the band's pocket. You guys work for a living. I know it's music. You love it, and we love it. But it's still a job, and you have to get paid for it. Otherwise, you can't continue doing it. And I think a lot of these kids today, they don't understand that. They don't. They they come from a generation of you know it's me, 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 and I, I should get it for free. And it's a big sense of entitlement today. And I think, you know, that's prevalent in everything, not just music, but unfortunately music seems to be taking the biggest hit. Yeah, they don't, I don't think they grasp that the long term is is what they're doing is they they are really killing the business. Uh, They don't see it, but they will here in even just a handful of years. They're going to go, hey, what what happened to all the the rock bands? Why are there just older rock bands around and they're to blame, you know, not to... Not to point the finger like that, but I, this whole situation is to blame. It is. I try to explain that to them all the time in the show. They just, Even though I get all the CDs for free from record companies and management, I still go out and buy it. I bought the Atlas CD even though I had one I just because I have to support the music. I've been doing this for 30 years. I buy it because it's, it's the price of a McDonald's meal when you come to look at it, and it supports a band. People really have to start getting back into the business of buying the music. I know a lot of uh, bands and a lot of labels are now going back to vinyl again, and they're charging like double what they could have CD, and, and, and they're selling them again because a lot of the old-timers want the vinyl. A lot of kids are something new to them also, and you really can't you know, bootleg that. Yeah, we've thought about doing that ourselves, and I, I'm, I'm certain we will go to the vinyl. But and, and back to you buying the record. Thank you so much for for that support. Uh, you have to do it. That's the only way to keep this music going. If we're going to get a second out of the record, we have to buy it. But I, I, Ron, I know you're busy this year with you know the tours. It's probably going to consume the bulk of the year. Uh, are we going to wait a long, long time for a new out of the record? You think, or maybe, you know, in the next year or two? You know, just as soon as we have a chance to go in the studio, I know we have the material. Um, in, in fact, I'm, I'm looking at my gear that's turned on right now. I was just working on a song before I, before I called you. Um, we're always writing new songs. We're, we're ready just as soon as that opportunity comes. We're not. We're definitely not going to be one of those bands that, that we're going to be caught with our pants down. Hey guys, you need to go back in the studio. Well, you know, we're ready. Just, just say let's go, and we're there. Oh, that's fantastic. You know, Lonnie, I'm going to let you go. I appreciate you talking to me today, and I know you guys are hitting the road in the U.S. in May, and when you get to the New York City area, I would be right there to come see you guys. I'd love it. Uh, We'll hook up, and you'll come backstage, and we'll hang. That sounds great to me, Lonnie. Thank you very much, buddy. I appreciate it. Thanks, Mike. The best of luck with the band. Take care. Thanks. Bye. All right, that was Lonnie Paul from Adler. He was a great guy to talk to, and I'm definitely going to go check those guys out. They'll be here. In the next few months. But you know what? There's only a minute left in the show, and that's not oh. enough time to play a tune off the new Adler record on the live show. So, so I will get the title tracks of the album back from the dead on for you guys, okay. and you'll be able to hear it when you play back the podcast. So if you don't have the record, it'll give you an incentive to sit for another two hours of this bullshit. All right. There you go. All right, buddy. Thank you very much for hanging out with me again today. I appreciate it like always, and for a little trip to the city the other night. Yeah. Thank you. You got it, buddy. I will talk to you this week, and I want to thank our guest, Josh Christian from Toxic. 
and Lonnie Paul from Adler. Take care, everybody. Here's a title track off that record, Back from the Dead. See you later, buddy. Good night, all. I'm gonna make it last 